All right, I hope you got to know a little bit more about us, a little bit more about our calling and where our heart is. Let's take our Bibles this morning. I'll jump right into the message. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll be this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to bring to you a challenge entitled, A Gospel Life. A Gospel Life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll begin our reading in verse number 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 19. You follow along as I read. I'll read a few verses. Starting in verse 19, the Bible says this, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made my ser- myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law is without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity just to be in your house this morning. Lord, thankful for the music that we heard, and Lord, has stirred our hearts and prepared our hearts for the message. And Lord, as I'm up here this morning, I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't be speaking my words, Lord, but that you'd speak through me. And that you would even challenge my heart as I begin to share the, the message that you put on my heart. Lord, bless us this morning as we dive into your word, Lord, that we would gain a deeper desire to know you and know your purpose for us. And Lord, use this message in our heart. In your name we ask it. Amen. One of the best advertising statements you'll ever hear is the statement, this will change your life. You ever hear that? I have uh, grandparents. They, they both live in California. And, and oftentimes they would come... Uh, when I was a young boy, they would come to Ontario, spend a few weeks with us. As they got older, they wanted to do less and less. They wanted to just stay home and relax. And, and, and many, of, many of my memories with my grandparents c- consisted of me and them sitting on the couch watching TV. And, and usually, they would only ever watch two channels, at least that are what I remember. And, and the first channel was The Price is Right. Any Price is Right fans in here? Okay, they would just watch that on repeat. It'd be the same episode for like three days. And... <gasps> they won and have no idea. Uh, the, second, the second thing they would watch is what we call the infomercial channel. You guys know what that is? It's just an ongoing program that just advertises different products, you know, tells you to buy one, get one free, whatever it is. It could be, you know, a, from, from a blender to, to a mattress to, to everything in between. And oftentimes what you hear in these advertisements is, if you buy this, it will change your life. Purchase this, have this a part of your life, it's going to change the way you live. And I think that's such an effective statement because the reality is us as a church and really the entire world, all people, are looking for something that is truly life-changing. They want that next purchase that's going to change their life, that, that next book that's just going to change the way they view things. And they're going to do everything they can, everything in their power to get that thing to make their life just that much better. And what if I told you this morning that when the Bible speaks of Christ and what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and that he lives forever, what if I told you that if you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, that's something that's going to change your life? That's gonna, that, that, that truly is a life-changing thing. And I can imagine that, as I said, that you, you nod your head in agreement, you said amen, and, and you agree with me that that is something that maybe, maybe you today have put your faith and trust in, and you know that's changed your life. But oftentimes, we've, we've boxed the gospel into a decision that we've made that's just going to affect our future. 
as a decision that we've made in the past that's going to affect our future home. Or, or some of us have, have worded it as a ticket to heaven as how we view the gospel. But what Paul's trying to convey in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is, how does the gospel affect me today? How is the gospel, gospel going to affect me Monday morning at work? And then Tuesday night with my family? And Wednesday with friends. How do I implement the gospel in my life today? So that it's, it's not just something I, I believed in back then and I know it's going to change my future. But how does the gospel change who I am as a believer today? How does it change the way I live? And, and that's what Paul is trying to convey in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Not just to have a gospel uh, past or gospel future, but have a gospel life every single day of your life. Now, I, I know you've, you've, you're probably familiar with the background of 1 Corinthians, but... Uh, if you'll allow me this morning just to tell you a little bit about it, just to refresh our memory, the relationship between Paul and the church of Corinth was a very tight-knit relationship. Paul was like a loving father to them. Paul cared deeply. It was an intimate relationship. And understand that the church of Corinth lived in a society that had very uh, much an anti-God presence. They wanted nothing to do with Christ nothing to do with God. And so a lot of this anti-God sins that had been going on began to creep and make its way in the church. And Paul, being the loving leader that he is, when he hears of the problems that had been going on in Corinth, it breaks his heart. He's concerned for them. And so what we read in 1 Corinthians is, is very much so just a rebuke from what Paul is hearing. He begins to address the sins that have been going on in the church but from a loving way, he's not condemning them. He's just trying to show them how to live the life, live, live the Christian life in a much better way. And one of the ways that Paul does that is he uses his own life as an example. He says, church, look at me. Now you might say, hold on, Paul. Don't you think that's a little arrogant of you? Don't you think that's a little uh, prideful of you to, to use your own life as an example? But if you read through 1 Corinthians, the, the way Paul uses his life as an example is he says this. He says that those sins that you are living in, those sins that you're enjoying, I know what it's like to live in that darkness. I was that guy. I was the Jesus hater. I, I wanted nothing to do with Christianity. But I've become the guy that, that my life has been changed by the gospel. I've seen both ends of the spectrum. I've been in the darkness and I've seen what God can do through a changed life. And Paul is saying, look at the way God has changed my life, church. Look at the way I live now. And that's what we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So quickly this morning, I just want to share three principles that, that Paul shares as how to live this gospel life. So number one, I want to see, Paul tells us his purpose statement. Paul tells us his purpose statement. Now, I had the privilege of attending a Bible college, and, and, uh, and I learned so much, and I was able to do so much in it. Uh, but one of the, the fondest memories I have in, in a weird way was uh, we, we got a new professor one year. And so I think it was like the first or second day of classes. And uh, we, we were waiting for there. He wasn't in the room yet. So we, we pulled out our laptops. We had our books open. We were ready to take some notes and just, and just go as class normally would. And then he comes into the room and he says, listen, class, I want you to put your laptops away. Grab a piece of paper and a pen. And we're all just kind of strange looking at each other. Like this is, this is out of the ordinary. We don't normally do this. We don't who writes anymore, right? Like, what's the point of this? And, 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 and he, says, he says this to us. He says, in three sentences or less, I want you to write your life's purpose. In three sentences or less, I want you to write the thing that motivates you. Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you do what you do? Why do you go to church? Why do you live for God? In three sentences or less, I want you to write your life's purpose. And I remember as soon as he gave that, that instruction, all my classmates, head down, just began writing furiously. And I kind of sat there, you know, I was, I was troubled. 
I was a little stressed. I didn't know what to write. And you're like, you're a Bible college student. You should know exactly what to write. And listen, I want to be honest with you. I was struggling not because I didn't know what to write. I was struggling because I wanted it to be true of me. I didn't want to just write something for a grade. I wanted that when the professor grabbed my assignment, he said, yeah, that, that, that makes sense with Kelvin. I see that in his life. Uh, that, that's true when he says something like that. And, and can I ask you today, church, if you don't have to grab a piece of paper or a pen or anything, but what is the purpose of your life? What are you doing with your life? Why are you here? Why are you at church? Why, why do you continue reading your Bible? What's, what's, the, what's the gasoline in your engine? What is the thing that moves you? And, and maybe I shouldn't ask you. Maybe I should ask the people that, that are closest to you because oftentimes we view ourselves a little bit better than we should, don't we? If I were to ask your spouse or your family or your loved ones, what is the thing that moves them? Maybe they would say, you know, they just want a happy family. They just want to be financially stable. They just want to make sure their kids are set up. They just want to make sure their parents are set up. All good things, all great things, and nothing wrong with that. But listen, as a believer, if that's the thing that moves us, I think we've missed the point. If that's the thing that gets us up in the morning, I think we've kind of missed the point of why God saved us and kept us on this earth, don't we? Look at me in verse number 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says this interesting statement. He says this, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. You know what Paul's saying here? He says, I, I be free from all men. He's saying, I'm a free man. I, I can live however I want to live. No one has to tell me what to do. I'm under no rule. I'm under, I don't have to live under a law. I, I'm, I, can, do how, I can do whatever I want to do. I can live however I want to live. But look how he closes that. He says, but I've made my servant. I've subjected that freedom. Why? That I might gain the more. That I might gain people for Christ is what he's saying. It's not a selfish gain. It's, it's that I might gain people for Christ. You know what Paul's saying? I can live however I want to live. I don't have to answer to anybody. I can, I can do this life the way Paul wants to do this life. But I've willingly denied that freedom to live however I want to live. And instead I've dedicated my life that I might gain people for Jesus Christ. You want to ask what, what, what made Paul go? What drove Paul? What made Paul wake up in the morning? It's that he wanted to bring that same gospel that changed his life into the lives of others. That was Paul's purpose in life. And Paul, Paul uh, reiterates that statement in Philippians chapter 1. Don't have to turn there, but let me read it. Philippians chapter 1, 20 and 21. Familiar verses. It says this. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, Paul's saying that whether I live or whether I die, I want Jesus Christ to be the biggest thing in my life. That when people are with me, they know that I'm not the great Paul. I'm Paul, a servant of Christ. And that when people get to know me, when I'm with people, that the gospel is the most important thing. That I am able to share the gospel. And what Paul was saying, remember, Paul was writing this to a church that had struggled so badly to live godly. He was writing this to a church that had all the talent in the world and yet missed the point completely. And he's saying, church, just go back to the basics. Remember the gospel. Remember how it changed you and live the gospel. Live knowing that the gospel can change people's lives. Live with that motivation. So church, let me ask you, how should the gospel affect you today? How does it affect you today? Just like Paul, our life is free to do whatever we want to do. No one's holding you at gunpoint saying you must serve Jesus Christ. No, no one's doing that to you. At least I don't think pastors are doing that. I, I don't know. 
But we're free to live however we want to live. But if you want to live a life that is God-honoring, if you want to bring all glory back to him, we ought to live a life that is dedicated to the purpose of Christ, and that's bringing the gospel to others. The very purpose of Christ is he came on this earth to seek and to save the lost. And what do, who are we to think that we have any other purpose in life but the purpose that Jesus Christ had while he was on this earth? You know, Paul's purpose statement was centered on, on the gospel. He woke up wanting to share the gospel. So let me ask you today, church, does the gospel, or let me word it like this, do people motivate you the same way motivated Paul? I'll be honest with you, I've, I've been in the ministry for almost five years as, as an assistant pastor, and there are times I had to check myself. There are times where I had to, you know, get on my knees and ask the Lord for forgiveness because when you're with people all day, sometimes the last thing you want to be with is people again. Sometimes people can become inconveniences, hindrances. I'm just trying to get from point A to point B. I don't really want to talk to anybody right now. Sometimes you can view people as obstacles. But see, for wherever Paul went, he saw people as his mission field. Whether it was in prison, city to city, it didn't matter where Paul was. Paul knew that his very purpose in life was that the next guy beside him knew Jesus Christ. That the guy he was placed with, he knew about Jesus Christ. That was Paul's purpose. That's what drove Paul. And when Paul says something like this, that my purpose is to gain people for Christ, you know what we say? Yeah, that makes sense, Paul. That, that aligns with how you live. That's just not something you say to please people. That's truly your life's purpose. That's how you live. Just look at the life of Paul. Everything he did was about people. So number one, we saw Paul's life purpose. Number two, I want you to see Paul's plan of action. Okay, now that we know the, the why behind Paul's life, what did that look like? What did that look like day to day? Well, I want you to see a couple of things this morning. The gospel life affected Paul's freedom. The gospel life affected Paul's freedom. Verse 19, we already talked about it, but Paul says, I'm a free man. I can do whatever I want. That, that's that, that's that's my life. I can choose however I want to live. And then, but I've, I've denied that freedom. I've denied that right to live however I want because I've committed my life to the gospel. And then in verse 20, let's look at verse 20. He, he gives a scenario here. He says, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. You know, in verse 20, Paul is referring to a previous instance that happened in Acts chapter 21. No need to turn there once again. But let me tell you a story. Paul here in Acts chapter 21 begins to participate in these Jewish ceremonies. Did Paul have to? No. Did they make him? They say, Paul, do this or you'll die? No. Paul didn't have to do any of that. But why? Why did he do it anyways? Why did he, did he participate in these ceremonies anyways? Because if you read the rest of the chapter, you understand that Paul did this, did the Jewish ceremonies. Why? So that it could eventually build a bridge so that he could share them the gospel. He, he built this relationship, he did this for them, so that one day he'd be able to bridge that and share the gospel to that same group of people. So Paul was saying that to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. I, I can live, get the picture here? Paul's saying my life is free, I can do whatever I want to do with my life, I can live however I want to live, but I've denied that freedom if that means I get to reach these people. I don't, I don't have to live in the freedoms that I have if that means I get to bring the gospel to these people. You see, the gospel affected Paul's freedoms. And there's no doubt in my mind that some of these verses are, are some of the most misapplied texts. Don't, don't you, you know, if you've been in church at any time, you've probably heard uh, someone misapply this text. 
You know, I, uh, I was just doing a quick Google search of how churches apply this, and it just blows my mind. You know, to reach these people, I must do what they do. To reach these people, I, I must compromise what I do, compromise what I believe so that I could reach them. Understand that what Paul is saying here is that Paul was not expanding his liberties to live beyond the boundaries that God placed for him. Paul was actually denying his liberties so that he could reach them. Paul was not going beyond what he was allowed to do. Understand that when Paul was in a situation, the question he would ask himself was, is what I'm going to do sinful or not? That's not what Paul was asking. Paul was way beyond that point. Paul was not putting himself in a position where he would be tempted to sin or not. The question Paul would ask in the situations he was put on is not, is this sinful or not? The question he would ask is, what I'm going to do going to make the gospel more effective or not? Paul was not battling temptations. Paul was saying, is the way I live, is how I'm going to say, is what I'm going to present, is, is the question I'm going to ask, is the way that I live going to make the gospel message that much more effective for, that, for those people? That, see, the gospel life affected Paul's freedoms. He, he could do whatever he wanted, but he said, I'm going to deny the freedoms that I have if that means I get to share the gospel that much more to those people. See, the, the gospel life affected Paul's freedom, but look at this. The gospel life proved his commitment to Christ. The gospel life proved his commitment to Christ. There's, there's a little phrase in verse 22 I wanted to look at. Look at verse 22. He says this, To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And in that verse, I have highlighted just that last phrase, that by all means I might save some. I consider myself a simple thinker. I don't, I'm not a deep thinker. I don't use large words. I have a crazy vocabulary. So when I read something like that, I translate in my head that when Paul is dealing with people, that when it comes to the gospel and with people, Paul says that I'm going to do whatever it takes. That by all means I might save some. Whatever means necessary. Whatever it takes for me to be able to bring the gospel to people, I'm going to do that. It proved his commitment to God. It proved his commitment to God's purpose. This is the same Paul that says, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. This is the same Paul that says that they which preach the gospel, watch this, should live of the gospel. Only let your conversation as it becometh the gospel. You see, Paul was so committed to the gospel of Christ. Can you imagine being an enemy of Paul, how frustrating that must have been? You trying to be the guy that stopped Paul? Listen, there is nothing that brought Paul down. You threw him in a prison. You kicked him out of the city. You stoned him. Whatever it was, even if you threw Paul in prison, you know Paul said, yeah, there's, there's a guy that, that needs to hear about Jesus in there too. Kick me out of the city, that's fine. I'll just go to the next one and preach there too. No, nothing could shake Paul. In Acts 24, Paul is, is talking about all the things that he had gone through in life. He's recounting all the things that he had gone through for, for the cause of Christ. And he says this. He says, none of these things move me. It doesn't matter. None of those things affect me. I'm going to keep going for the sake of the gospel. And here's the thing, church, that Paul's gospel witness wasn't dependent on the situation he was put in. He didn't just share the gospel because it was easy at that moment. And then in the hard times, you just shy away from it. His gospel witness was the most important thing no matter where he went. It wasn't dependent on what was easy and what was not. And I want to close with this, church. So we see Paul's purpose statement, Paul's plan of action, and then Paul shows us the powerful effort behind this life. There's a powerful effort. Paul showed us the, the, the why behind his life. Paul shows us how to live this life. And then Paul gives us an example of the kind of effort it takes to live this life. Look at me in verse 24. He says this, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. So Paul begins this analogy about running because that's what 
uh, resonated with the church of Corinth. If he was speaking to uh, parts of Canada, he might give a hockey analogy. Speaking to me, he would give a basketball analogy. But because the church in Corinth was so involved in the running and the Olympics, he gives a running analogy and he asks this rhetorical question. He says, don't you know that if you're running in the race, you're in the race? That, that, he says in verse 24, know ye not that they which run in a race run all. That means if you're in it, you're, you're running the race. And then he says this, but one receiveth the prize. You know, I, I, uh, I was never a track guy. Keith can attest to that. I was never a big track and field guy. Never had the build for it. Never had the motivation for it, to be honest with you. Uh, but the high school I went to, we were forced to do this track and field event every year. And every year we had to do at least one event uh, just so we didn't have to get demerits. And so I did. I did, always did the bare minimum. Uh, I think I tried really hard for like one year and I realized it wasn't my thing. And then I just, I just went. And you know, my mom being the mom that she is kind of has like the shrine of me now that I moved out the house with like all my trophies and medals and awards that I've received. And in this shrine is a box that says track and field on it. You'll find some some trophy. You'll find a few ribbons and whatnot. But do you know what you're going to find the most in there? You'll find exactly eight participation medals. <laughs> and, and there were some years where, I kid you not, that's all I came home with, a participation medal. I got a few bronze in there. I think one year I, lo- I fluked out and got like a silver. But you'll, the majority of what you'll find is a participation medal. And you know what that symbolizes? That just symbolizes, you know, I showed up. <laughs> I did what I need to do. I passed the test. I, I did, you know, I did it just enough to get by. And when you read verse 24 here, you know what Paul's saying? That in this life, it's not enough just to participate. That we are all called to run this race. We are all called to this eternal race and run to obtain, run to win. Don't just run and, and come home with a participation medal and say, I, I, I did what I could. You know, at least I showed up to the race. Paul says, so run that you may obtain, verse 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I love that. See, the church in Corinth, they were familiar with races, as I said, and there were big races that would go on, and there would men and, and women would train for months, maybe years, dedicate their life, deny themselves of things that aren't bad, but aren't profitable for the race. And they would do all these things, and at the end of the race, if they won, they got to stand on this podium, and receive a, a little crown, almost like a wreath. It's like a crown with some leaves. And Paul says that there are people that have dedicated their life to this crown that wouldn't last one thunderstorm. And yet, the Bible commands us, and the Bible tells us that as a believer, there is a prize to win, and that crown is incorruptible. That thing's going to last. That thing's eternal. And what, Paul's, what Paul was trying to reiterate to the church here is that he didn't want to stand before his Savior one day and not have an answer to why he lived what he lived. He didn't want to stand there ashamed and embarrassed and have nothing to show for. Paul says that when I, when I get to heaven one day and I stand before God, I want there to be a crown. I want there to be something that lasts for eternity. I want him to know that I lived my life for him. That's what verse 25, now they do it to obtain a corruptible but we an incorruptible, verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. You ever ran a race and not know where the finish line was? I don't think that's a thing, is it? Ready, set, go. You begin running and you're like, where do I go? <laughs> Which turn do I make? You know, running really with no passion, no purpose. Can I say that it ought to break our heart as believers that we come across people every single day that kind of live life that way, don't they? 
They just go through life, you know, no real purpose, no desire. There's nothing burning within them. They just live for the next high and the next high and just for the next good time. But can I say that if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, and I trust that you have, that not only do we have the promise of Christ's uh, presence within us, not only do we have the promise of a future home in eternity, but in that decision, we also inherited God's eternal purpose for our life. When we got saved, we inherited God's purpose that I mentioned before, that when Christ came to this earth, he came not to call the righteous, but sinners. His whole life revolved around people. His whole life was meant to reach people. And when we accepted Jesus Christ in our heart, that purpose becomes our purpose as well. And we live with that purpose and we run this race knowing that that's the purpose we're striving for. And we should not be the runners that run uncertainly. We should not be the believers that approach this life as one that beateth the air with nothing really behind them. No purpose at all. Verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached others, I myself should be a castaway. He uses two really strong phrases here. That first phrase is, but I keep under my body. Some translate that as I discipline myself. But I think that's a, a weak translation from what I was studying. What, what Paul is really trying to say is I strike myself. I beat myself. The next phrase, and, and bring it into subjection. That literally means to live as a slave. Church, do you understand the kind of purpose Paul lived with? Do you see now how serious he took his life committed to Christ? He didn't just go through his life, yay, I'm saved and, and, and I'm just going to live to live. Paul says that there is a purpose, there's a passion, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's something greater to live for now. There's something greater that is far beyond the span of our life. I'm going to close with this, uh, with this uh, analogy today. You know, back where I lived in Nova Scotia, there was a, a big marathon called the Johnny Miles Marathon. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's for, for our town, that's kind of like the, the elite marathon. Like, uh, the best runners would run in that. And uh, I, I, I lived in a neighborhood where my house was, where a lot of the runners were my neighbors. And so, you know, when I'd wake up at 6, 6.30 sometimes, I, I'd, I'd open the curtains, and what I would see right away is just several runners just running already. And then that night when I'd put my son to sleep in the evening, I was, just as I was about to close those curtains, I would see runners running, 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 running. And, and oftentimes I think to myself, you know, how cool would it be to be invited to that race? How cool would it be to be the guy that's running? And how, how much more cooler it would be to be the guy that won, to be standing there? I'd accept third place in this race. I, I, you know, that would be awesome. You know, but as soon as these thoughts become somewhat serious, I, I remember the kind of work they put into this race. You know, while, while I'm at home, you know, eating my chips, they're eating their celery water, you know, whatever, you know, doing whatever runners do. You know, when I hit my snooze button on Saturday morning, they've run five laps around my house. You know, there's, there's a lifestyle that they live in order to be a part of this race. And, and, and how foolish of it would, would it be if I thought to myself that with the life that I'm living now, I could run that race and win first. It doesn't work that way. And here's the picture today, that we are all called to run this race of this life. And if our desire truly is to obtain an incorruptible crown, we're not going to get it living this life by accident. We're not going to stand before God one day and hear him say, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant, if on this earth we've done nothing to achieve his purpose. We didn't discipline ourselves once. We didn't deny of ourselves of anything. We didn't, we didn't live one day committed to Christ. We, we lived for the next moment. We, we had no purpose. It's foolish for us to think that we can live this life 
lackadaisical and get to heaven and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, Paul was saying that was his desire. If you read the book of Paul, Paul wanted to get to heaven one day and hear Christ approve of the life that he lived. But understand the life that Paul lived just to get to that point. There was a commitment. There's a dedication that it takes to get to that point. Okay? When we read of the life of Paul, when we look at the life of Paul, I'll be honest with you sometimes. I say, you know, I'm, I'm called to serve God. And then there's Paul serving God. <laughs> you know, there's, there's what I do for Christ. And then this is what Paul did for Christ. You know, Paul, calm down a little bit. You know, relax, live a little, Paul. Can I say this? That what Paul is trying to convey to this church is that this level of commitment that Paul lived ought to be the norm for each and every one of us. This is not supposed to be some outstanding Christian, some extraordinary Christian. This ought to be the normal Christian. A, a, a believer that is that committed to the purpose of Jesus Christ. A believer that is that committed to, to giving the gospel to other people. A believer that is that committed to denying himself of the freedoms that he has just so he can please God. We shouldn't say Paul and then there's us. Paul's saying we are all called to this level of commitment as a believer. And so this morning, I trust that you've accepted the gospel. You've accepted what Christ did for you. You've accepted Christ in your heart as a personal savior. And, and that is awesome. That is a great start. Because that same gospel ought to be the very reason why you woke up this morning. That same gospel ought to be the very reason why you're sitting in these pews this morning. And can I say this? If Bible Baptist Church is going to want to reach its community for Christ, it's not going to be through, you know, better looking tracks. It's not going to be because Pastor Yeomans did everything. If Bible Baptist Church is going to reach its Jerusalem, it's going to be because every single believer said the gospel is going to be that much more important to me. It's going to be because the, each and every one of you have made the commitment, have purpose in your heart to say, I'm going to share the gospel to someone this today. I'm going to share the gospel to someone this week. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to make that a focus in my life this week. That's what's going to enhance the evangelism of Bible Baptist Church. That's what's going to happen. And so let me challenge you this morning to a, maybe you haven't accepted the gospel, you haven't accepted Christ. The first and foremost, make that decision. That is the most important decision you make. But if you're in that place where you have put your faith and trust in, in Christ already, can I challenge you to make the gospel real for you today? Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful this morning for the challenge of the life of Paul. And Lord, even I was convicted. And Lord, I pray that you would use this message in the life of your people, the life of your church, that you would use it to uh, grow the church and reach heights that had never been before. Lord, we'll continue to work in our hearts this morning. In your name we ask it. Amen.